Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of the Story Story Night family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on an unblushing theme, told live at the adults-only Visual Arts Collective. I'm Artistic Director Jody Eichelberger. During this summer season, we divide the phrase, liar, liar, pants on fire, into three parts. This month, we separate the truth from the lies in Liar, Liar. Our June 27, 2017 show with featured storytellers Aaron Riley, Susan Early, and Michael Bartlett. The host for the evening was the lovely Jinx Jenkins. Here's your first truth. It's time for Late Night Stories. She started as a slammer, she became a featured storyteller, and now she's back again, and we couldn't be more glad. Everybody give it up for Aaron Riley. So, my story starts out with a boyfriend, as most of my stories do. Um, And this boyfriend, at the time, decided that he um, would like to break up with me because he's going to be polyamorous. Um, And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's try this out. I don't want to break up. Let's see how this works. And he's like... Uh, no, you're not going to like it. It's not going to be for you. So then I decided to say, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, you're, you, of all people, are not going to tell me what I do and do not like. Um, I-, I could totally do this. It'll be fine. Um, but no, he, he, he said no. He was adamant about it, um, that it wasn't going to work out. Uh, and so... I just called him a liar um, and basically told him that he just wanted to fuck a bunch of people and wanted to feel okay about it. And that's why he was breaking up with me. So we're going to fast forward a couple months later. um, I get on the dating websites, feeling a little lonely, meet a guy. um, And he was a very nice, older, southern gentleman. We go out, we have this beautiful date, meet for coffee, go to the pizza shop. He steals a kiss in a good way. Um, And I was smitten. I was really smitten. And so um, we went out a couple more times. And um, he really had me hooked. He gave me the best compliment ever, which was that I had a very sexy brain. Um, And I thought that was really, really good. (laughs) And so I just couldn't give up this guy, but he was very noncommittal. And I should have known this because on his Facebook profile, it said specifically, I do not want a relationship. Uh, but I was like, I can't quit you, buddy. Um, but we're going to call him Mr. KG, um, because he was a little hard to cage down. <laughs> uh, but we, for a whole year, we're back and forth, back and forth, because that's what functional relationships and healthy relationships really are. They're like back and forth and back and forth. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like a good idea at the time, because I couldn't quit him. I really couldn't. Um, 
And so because I couldn't quit him, I also was having a really hard time dating other people at the same time. So I have a friend and he became actually my polyamorous guru. Um, this guru told me, guess what, Aaron? You can have relationships with several people and they're meaningful. So I was like, please tell me more because I can't quit this guy, but I want other relationships. So he told me about polyamory and, and from what I gather, and from the time, um, is that really it's about having multiple relationships, um, significant relationships. Sometimes people are married and they have girlfriends and boyfriends. Sometimes they're not um, married, but they still have multiple partners. Sometimes it is a very casual thing. Um, and so my polyamorous guru, he decided to send me articles um, and told me about books to read. And I'm a very factual and scientific person, so I was like, this is true. We were never meant to be monogamous. This is all the industrial complex, and we all need to share our love for one another. This is happening. And then um, he actually had me join a secret Facebook group um, we can call this like Boise support group for people who can't quite be out to others um, about their relationships. And they were great. They were very supportive. I love this group. I, um, we went out to trivia sponsored nights. <laughs> trivia sponsored nights from the polyamorous group. That was fun. It wasn't all about polyamorous <laughs> questions though. It was regular trivia. Uh, we, we had karaoke nights, bar hopping nights, dancing nights, um, and potlucks. So I just want to let everyone know that um, this wasn't about going and getting together and having a bunch of sex with one another. That's not what this group was about. It was really about bonding um, with one another. So I ended up... Um, still seeing Mr. KG, um, and then really diving in 100% from what I thought. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep dating in this group. Um, it's going to be great. And it was. Um, I went to a potluck. I met somebody. We're going to call him married guy. <laughs> they had an agreement, everybody. Okay, he was married, but they were both seeing other people. They were really invested in this group. Um, I should tell you at this time, I was feeling incredibly guilty because I felt very hidden and like I couldn't come out and I am pretty close with my parents. They're here tonight. Hi, mom and dad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and they, um, I, I just didn't feel like I could come out to them, so I decided to go to my reverend <laughs> and talk to her about it. She informed me that there was a Unitarian Universalist group that is polyamorous and that I totally had support 100%. So I was good when I was ready, but I should maybe wait just a little bit before coming out to my folks. So um, I meet married guy, like I said. 
Um, and he was wonderful. Uh, he was everything that I needed that Mr. Cagey was not. Um, he was loving and supportive and texted me when I needed him. Um, but I still couldn't quit Mr. Cagey, um, unfortunately. So I was polyamorous for a whole month. <laughs> it was amazing. It felt really weird. Um, Again, a functional, healthy relationship sometimes when you're a little bit older also requires that you are physically intimate with your partner. I could not do that with both of them at the same time. I mean, not at the same time, but in the same month, right? I just felt super guilty. It just was not a good fit at this point. And, um, I still couldn't tell anybody. I was still going to potlucks. I was still going to trivia nights. I was still thinking like, this is gonna happen. But here's the thing. I also, um, in this group, got to learn some like really new fun vocabulary too. Um, NRE was a really fun word. And that's new relationship energy. And me and Mr. Mary guy really had that. Like, I wanted to be around him and touch him all the time. Um, and I think anybody in a relationship has that new relationship energy. But here's the thing. I also learned this word called compersion. Well, compersion is where you are in love with somebody and you're watching them fall in love with someone else and you love that feeling. That was in the back of my head the whole time. <laughs> and Mr. Cagey, after about a month, actually left. And so then it was me and Mr. Married. And I was like, cool. We're, we're, we're going to do this thing. Um, and he, he was open and told me that he was actually going to be getting a divorce. And that was even better because I thought like, oh, awesome. We're going to be not just boyfriend and girlfriend. We're going to get married. We're going to have kids. And we're going to live a really good life together. But <laughs> he decided to be completely honest with me and told me, you know, I still want to be polyamorous. It doesn't matter if I'm getting a divorce. Um, I still want to live this lifestyle. And I finally had to be very honest with myself. And I realized and had to tell him that, yeah, polyamorous just wasn't for me. Everybody, please put your hands together for Susan Early. So I'm on the corner of 3rd Avenue and 12th Street with my husband in Manhattan. We've just come out of couples counseling. And we're standing on the corner. And I look at him and I say, you know what? I feel like I need to leave you before you leave me. And he waits, and he says, yes, you're right. 
We've been together 10 years. We're in the middle of infertility treatments, which are at the best, the most horrible thing you'll ever have to do. And at the worst, it's like turning yourself inside out. And first I'm thinking, why didn't you say this in counseling? Wait till we get out on the curb and then tell me. But um, we had been together 10 years. We, I loved him. He loved me. We had a very wonderful relationship when we first met. We grew up in the same part of Manhattan, very different worlds. Um, he taught me incredible patience, uh, very creative, always thinking of great ways to surprise me or have wonderful presence. I introduced him to travel, mashed potatoes not from a box. Um, taught him how to drive, he had never driven, and took him his first international trip. So we're at this crossroads. I then have to go to work and give a presentation to 200 people, which I do. I don't remember one single word of it or any of it, but I got through it. And my friend at work, Jim Barantini, who you will always remember the name of the person who shows you incredible kindness at a horrible moment, took me out to lunch where I cried and explained the whole thing. And he just listened and let me be a mess. And I decided not to go home that night. I stayed at an, another girlfriend's house, Chris, who also showed incredible kindness that I keep in my heart. And then I, then I got mad. And then I'm like, all right. Went back the next day. I'm like, okay, you leave? You leave everything. You're not taking anything with you? You're gone. He's like, okay, I'm all set. So we were in the middle of selling our house at the same time, which is a whole other story. And so um, he left the house, and we were selling it. And I had to go pick up my younger sister at college, so he was staying at the house while I went and picked up my sister. So I come back home, and waiting at the bottom of the stairs is his suitcase with a letter on top. So of course I read the letter, right? Who wouldn't? And the letter is from a woman from Boise, Idaho who says, I'm so sorry, you're so unhappy in your marriage. Um, I'm sorry you didn't feel like you ever should have been married and that you were never in love. And oh, I'm crushed. I'm super crushed and even madder at the same time. So I, now I'm like, okay, what is this? This is not, this is someone else. Who is this woman? Where did this come from? And he says, well, I dated her a long time ago, and she's the one I love, and I'm going, I'm gonna, we're gonna be together. And I'm like, you've just written to her. Have you seen her? Do you know where she is? No, she's in Boise, she has three kids, we haven't connected yet. And at the same time, I was offered a new job in Boston that I negotiated, so I was moving from New York City, where I had lived most of my life by myself to Boston for a brand new job. So, pack up my stuff drive for the first time alone in my car to Boston. That was good training, learning how to drive in New York and then moving to Boston. So I get to Boston and then he calls and says, you know what, I think I've changed my mind. Like I wanna work on this with you, I don't wanna leave. And I think, hmm, I don't know. So I file for divorce in Boston. And, and unfortunately, $500 and six weeks later, I find out I can't file for divorce in Massachusetts because he never lived in Massachusetts. So I have to file in New York. So I call, and 
And he had been like, oh, we'll figure it out. I'll come up. We'll go to therapy. Part of our plan was he would go to college, so now I could support both of us. And But <laughs> so I don't hear from him. My job is really busy. I'm getting acclimated to a new place. And finally I call him. I'm like, so what's going on? He's like, oh, 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 I meant to call you. I'm like, oh, man, first of all, you don't end 10 years in a phone call. You better come up here. You got to do this face to face. So he drives up. I take his wedding ring because I have taken, when I say I took everything, I took everything. I left him with the crappy TV his mom gave us that I hated, and that was it. So he comes up to Boston. We agree it's over. And then I hire a lawyer in New York, and we go through the paperwork. And we had agreed to file under abandonment because New York, this is, is not a no-fault state. One of the parties must be at fault. So he says, OK. He gets in his car and drives to Boise, Idaho, because he's now convinced this young woman to leave her three children and be his lifelong partner. About Pennsylvania, driving from New York, he falls asleep at the wheel and wrecks his car. So he calls me again. I'm just calling in case the insurance calls you so you could tell him I hit a deer and I didn't fall asleep. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to lie for you about that. Please, insurance, call me. But they did not call me. Um, he did wreck his brand new car, which made me feel a little bit better about the Nissan Sentra I was stuck with. But, and a couple months later, finally the lawyers come through in New York and I get my part of the paperwork. And I call him up and I say, so listen, I got the paperwork. Who's your lawyer in Boise? Or can I serve you at your house? And he goes, oh, you know what? I've been thinking. And it's really not a good idea for me to be on the divorce under abandonment because it wouldn't look good for my girlfriend and her divorce. So how about we just do a separation agreement for a year and then we'll be all set. It'll be no worries. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You wrecked your car two days after you left New York. I'm not staying married to you for another year because it's maybe good for your girlfriend. So he says, well, there's nothing you can really do. So I say, actually, I'm going to file under adultery. Well, and you'll have to testify, and she'll have to testify in New York. Have fun. He goes, you can't prove that. Actually, remember right after I moved to Boston when you booked that plane ticket to Boise on our joint credit card? I had you followed. I had you followed from the airport where you picked up that rental car at Hertz and you drove to La Quinta in Boise. And she pulled up in her minivan with the three car seats and parked right next to you. And this is her license plate. And then you went to the mall and held hands and kissed at Sephora. And then you went to Applebee's for dinner. I have that on video. So I'm going to use that. I'm all set. I'll see you later. What? You bad word I can't even say. <laughs> you 
can't believe you had me followed. I can't believe you want me to make it easier for you and your girlfriend. So he says, how about? And so I'm like, so now are you ready to file under abandonment? It's a better deal. He's like, you're blackmailing me. And I said, no, I'm holding you to your original promise that this is what you agreed to and this is what you're gonna do. So begrudgingly, he agrees. And uh, I'll tell you, I don't really think that much about it. I get a phone call. I have a job placement here in Boise, Idaho. <laughs> I, I arrive January 1st. I get off that plane. I'm walking down the beautiful little gate you guys have. And I come through those doors and I think, oh my god, this is why they could find him so easy. And they, they spotted him right away. And getting to the car rental was a piece of cake. Now I get it. But I also think, for a minute, when you have really hard choices, there's usually two roads. There's a road that will crush you, and there's a road that will make you better and stronger. And now, every time I come out of that Boise airport, every week when I fly here, I'm happy. I'm like, I took the road that made me stronger. Thank you. Michael Bartlett. He tricked me into giving him cookies. <laughs> Spring break, Palm Springs, California. The, poss the possibilities are endless, right? But, but not for me. I ended up getting my head slammed against a brick wall and being labeled a liar. So it all started when I was a senior in college. This is 1992, and my best friend and I, we are a little frustrated that it seems all the other kids get to do these amazing spring breaks. They're off in Florida, California, Hawaii, and we stay in Salem, Oregon. <laughs> so we, we combine every cent we have, $320, we jump in my Mercury Tracer and we head south. <laughs> and we were a little disappointed because we learned that California spring break and spring break for our school don't coincide. They overlap a single day. That's on the last day of our break. But we're, that's all right, we plan for that and we plan to be in Palm Springs on that day. We figure it's gonna be amazing, there are gonna be people everywhere and so that's the plan. So I find myself that night alone on the streets of Palm Springs because I've been separated from my friend. Uh, there was a story involves a carload of girls, I was invited to go along, I jumped in, so we separated for a while. Later, <laughs> when I was trying to find him, I was walking down the streets and I'm, you know, I'm from a small town, I'm from Caldwell, Idaho, and I went to school in a sleepy town in Oregon, and so this is all uh, pretty big and new to me, and I'm very wide-eyed. There are people everywhere, all shapes and sizes, wearing everything you can imagine. If I had to pick a theme, though, it would have been Oakland Raiders, uh, <laughs> which made me feel comfortable because of the reputation they have for being kind and gentle. <laughs> but I'm so so worried about it that I've decided to leave my wallet in the hotel because I know I'm not going to go in a bar and I'm thinking I don't want to get pickpocketed and I understand that stuff happens in the big city you know this is how you know kind of nerve nervous I was but as I'm walking down the street trying to find my friend looking around um, I see on the sidewalk this large group of men and they're all kind of huddled together and so so much so that it's it's a huddle they're these large men and they all have their hands together in the center and, uh, and all of a sudden, just as you would expect from a huddle, I hear, break! 
And I'm like, what the fuck's that all about, right? <laughs> so I stop to watch, and uh, as they break up, I see that there are two police officers, and everybody else is in a Marine uniform. And I later learned they've been deputized for spring break. And so now the, the police officer, uh, one of the two police officers, heads straight out into the street. Uh, his name's Ron Stewart, I would later learn. And uh, he, he puts his hand up, and he stops the very first car along the road. And this is, again, it's Palm Springs. I've noticed there's Toyotas, there's Fords, but there's some exotic cars, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, and this was a yellow Lamborghini. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. So I walked up to the curb to watch, and I wasn't alone. There were, of all these hundreds of people, other people were interested, and they kind of were standing on the curb as well. And as I was watching, Ron Stewart was looking at the plate, and then he turned uh, to walk around the car, presumably to go talk to uh, the driver of the car. But when he turns the corner and he looks at all of us standing there on the curb, he gets a pissed look on his face. And he, and he points at us and he says, step back. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm stepping back, right? <laughs> so I step back, but largely no one else does. And so this small V of people form. Uh, on the road there, and I'm thinking, wow, you guys are going to be in trouble here. And, and, then, and then he looks, and he looks even madder than before, and he said, I said step back! And I'm like, whoo, and I, again, huge step back. The V of people gets deeper, and I'm seriously thinking they are in deep shit, right? And then, and then he looks, and now it's unmistakable. He's locked on me. And he said, that's it, smartass, you're under arrest, and he charges at me. And I shit my pants. No, no. <laughs> I didn't really, that's a lie. But I was terrified, and I turned to run. And I ran track in college, and I can move pretty quick when I want to, but I got maybe three steps before all those Marines jumped me. And it was like oil and water, and, and, and the crowd separated. And this wasn't long after Rodney King, and so I'm screaming, I'm not resisting, I'm not resisting. But they throw me to the ground, I get kicked in the, I get kicked in the, in the ribs, I get kicked in the legs, someone's standing on my head. And while someone's standing on my head, I get handcuffed. And I am at a loss, I'm confused, I have no idea what's going on, I, I, I no idea. And I wasn't there long before someone, and I, I don't know for sure exactly, but it felt as though all they did is grab the chain of the cuffs to pull me off the ground, wrenching my hands behind my back. And then they walked me a short distance to this brick wall that was just some business there and threw me into it. A few minutes later, someone came along and they made me lean my head on the brick wall as they patted me down, uh, finding nothing, of course. And then they left me there for a while. Uh, enter Ron Stewart. So Ron Stewart comes up to me, again, he's the police officer, and he looks older than the other officer, so I presume he's the senior officer. And he walks up to me and he says, what's your name? And so I told him, I said, Michael Bartlett. You're a fucking liar, he spits at me. And when I mean spit, I mean spits at me. I don't know if it's by design, or if that's just what this guy does when he's angry, but every single time he barks at me, I get wet. And again, I'm totally at a loss. I have no idea why this is happening. And, uh, and so, so, so he says, you know, where are you from? And I tell him I'm, I'm from Caldwell, Idaho. And he goes, he says, you're a goddamn fucking liar. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, I don't know what's going on here. 
And, uh, and then he says, so why don't you have any ID on you? And, you know, I hadn't had my ID because I was afraid of pickpockets, so I explained that to him. And that's it. He goes, why don't you step and fucking stop lying right now? And, and, and now I'm getting a little annoyed. I mean, I'm, I'm getting chippy. I'm mad. I don't understand why this has happened. So he asks me what my eye color is. Really? I mean, what? Uh, so I say, Hazel. And again, he yells. He calls me a fucking liar. He says my eyes are brown. He wants to know what my fucking problem is. I mean, this guy. And I'm like, look, my mom told me they were Hazel. My ID says they're Hazel. My eyes are fucking Hazel. And so now, so now Ron, Ron walks away. And, uh, and two other officers who weren't part of the original huddle arrive, and, uh, and they're talking to him at some distance, and they come over uh, to me, and they ask me the same questions, except uh, in this occasion, one of the officers has this magic thing called a radio. And so they ask me my name, I give them my name, they ask me where I live, and so forth, I give it to them, and I hear, I can hear across the radio, yeah, <laughs> Michael Bartlett, yes, Caldwell, I don't, mm-hmm, affirmative, <laughs> right? Hazel. <laughs> so, so they looked, they looked to Ron uh, Stewart and they say, uh, so, so what do you want to do? Right? And uh, he kind of looks around. He says, well, is the, is the car here? And they said, yeah, it's just around the corner. He goes, take him down. So I'm already still handcuffed and they march me to the patrol car and they throw me in the back and they drive me to the Palm Springs Police Department where I am uh, thrown into one of what seems like maybe a dozen cells along uh, a long uh, hallway, and on the other side is a long bench where deputies are working, and I am the only sober guy in this place. Everybody else is laying on the ground, falling asleep here, puking, a couple drunk guys down here arguing, and I spend the next five hours of my life there. The one night, my spring break, overlaps California spring break. <laughs> I'm not at all happy. At one point, this gentleman uh, comes by and he's sweeping, and I have no idea how long you have to be here to get your name on your shirt, but <laughs> his name is on the back of his shirt. He's a trustee, his name's Robinson, and the book he's sweeping is a paperback and the covers are ripped off, and I am desperate for something to do, and so I say, hey, Robinson, Robinson, can I, can I have that book? And he's like, no sir, not allowed to read in here. And like, just, I just, just want to, no, 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 sir, you can't read. And so I call out to a deputy, and I've been listening, I mean, you got nothing else to do, a Jerome Smith, Deputy Jerome Smith is across the way, and I say, uh, Deputy Smith, can I, um, can I read this book? Uh, he's sweeping, there's a book, I'm bored, and he's like, not allowed to read in here. And I'm like, but it's just a, it's just a book, not allowed to read in here. And then I, you know, again, I have a little temper, I switch, I'm like, okay, Jerome. So on the walls of this jail on one side are, are the rules in English, and on the other side are the rules in Spanish. And I have uh, taken just enough Spanish courses just far enough apart over the years that I don't know Spanish at all, but I, <laughs> but I can read Spanish so it sounds right. And so just to be a dick, I start out loud, as loud as I can, reading the rules in English and the rules in Spanish. The rules in English, the rules in Spanish. English, Spanish, just to piss off Jerome, because I have nothing else to do. 
So after a long period of time, I finally get tired of that and I'm waiting and they finally let me out of my cell and they take me to a desk that's in the same room where they do the booking procedures and they fingerprint me and they uh, take my mugshot. And there's a, a, a nice gentleman there, a police officer who's very kind. He says to me, say, uh, weren't you just here? And I'm like, nah, I've never ever been here in my life. He goes, no, man, you were just here. Like what, 24 hours ago? And I'm like, no, I was never in detention in high school. I, I, I wasn't here. And he's like, yeah, okay. So I'm starting to get a clue maybe, maybe what happened. And right then they move me forward to the desk and there is Ron Stewart flipping through a code book. Trying to figure out what to charge me with. And I say, what, you don't, don't know what to charge me with? And he looks up and he has, there's not an ounce of empathy, remorse, nothing in him. He looks at me, he goes, you know what? I know guys like you. He goes, you are going to be in and out of jails and prisons your whole life. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. And then he says, there it is, resisting, obstructing, uh, lawful arrest. Right, right. So then they let me go. No bond. I don't see a judge, there's no process, no idea what they thought, they could just let me out the door. And as I was walking out the door, uh, I turned and I yelled uh, to Ron Stewart. I said, Officer Stewart, he turns around. And I'm like, to protect and serve, really? Is that your duty? Is that your obligation? Who, who did you protect tonight? All you did tonight is make sure an innocent man got the shit kicked out of him. To serve, is that what you did tonight? To serve, all you did tonight is you spit and swore in the face of honesty. You didn't protect anyone tonight but yourself. You didn't serve anybody but your own ego. And you should be ashamed of yourself. Okay, I didn't say that. <laughs> that, that was a lie. I wished I'd said that. Instead, I said, thank you, and I, <laughs> and I, and I walked out. But you, know, but you know, Ron Stewart, you, you did something for, that, for me that night. You, you inspired me that night because you were right about something. I did spend the rest of my life going in and out of jails and prisons, right? Because I dedicated my life to defending people accused of crime. Many of whom have been the victim of those sorts of lies. And so uh, thank you for that inspiration and thank you for sending me on a path to seek the truth. Thanks for listening. Story Story Late Night is brought to you by our story party, Amy Moran, Karis Kimball, Anna Mae Schaefer, Karen Moore, Bob Haycock, and me, Jody Eichelberger, with big-time support from the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation. This project is supported by public funding for the arts through the Idaho Commission on the Arts, the Idaho Legislature, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our season sponsor, Over 19 Adult Shop, and the Liar Liar Show sponsor, Wildflower Bakery. The Story Story Late Night theme song is by Ned Evett, 
with podcast production by Stephen Baltasari, featuring live music from the Bitter Greens. Support this storied program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on SoundCloud, Facebook, and Twitter at Story Story Night.